Okay, so I'm here with Julie. Julie, could you introduce yourself, please? Where you're from, what you do? Sure, I am Julie. My coaching and um, company is called English with Purpose, and we help international professionals who are working for a better world communicate in English with confidence and eliminate career barriers. And I'm based in Washington, D.C., where I have lived for 21 years. But this is not where I'm from, and it's not where I grew up. And to this day, I still struggle with cultural differences, even in my adopted home. Oh, interesting. And when you say cultural differences, what does that mean? Like you've met people from other cultures that you like you struggle to what, like understand or? Oh, good question. So actually, I love the diversity of this part of the country, and it is where I founded my business. Um, because of the diversity of this country, of this area, which we call the Mid-Atlantic in the United States, I was able to start my business before it, it evolved into an online business. But the culture of the city itself I is see. something I struggle with. I come from the deep south where we're slower and friendlier and we stop and talk to people on the street and you look people in the eye and say hello when you pass them and here everything is just like rush, 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 don't talk to me. I don't know any of my neighbors. <laughs> the clients right. typically complain that they don't know any of their neighbors. And we talk a lot about this when people resettle in this area. I see, right. Where, where are you from uh, in the South? I grew up outside of Atlanta. Atlanta, okay, Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm familiar with uh, South Carolina because uh, I worked uh, with Michelin, Michelin Tires and uh, yes, they have and a head office there. I actually went now. to university in Greenville. Oh, in Greenville. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, Greenville, <laughs> South Carolina. Yeah, that's yeah. where they have their head office. I did all yeah. of my education, both my degrees at two different universities in South Carolina. My parents retired there. My brother lived there for a while. So, if, yeah, oh. that's what I consider home. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I Yeah, and I really love it there. And I, I totally understand what you mean now about cultural differences, you know, because for sure in South Carolina, there were definitely a friendliness and like kind of a homely feel to it, you know, and everyone kind of like is super nice to each other compared to maybe like a big city, which is like different, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you do have to be a little careful because people it's, you know, that kind of nobody's friendly all the time, right? I feel like a lot of cultures are like this. They'll talk about you behind your back, but at least they'll wait until you're out of the room. And I prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't, yeah. Know, I don't care if I have a friendly interaction and we move on and I never know what happens or what's said about me. I, that's fine. I, pr I, I prefer that. <laughs> right. What did you uh, what did you study at school? I actually studied philosophy and German. Oh. Um, and in the course of studying German, I went overseas and did a semester in Vienna. And that was probably the seed of starting to think about going into something with language education. It was very vague at the time. It just was a life-changing experience. And, um, you know, of course, I think everybody has to have that immersive experience of being totally helpless in your target language in order to be an effective teacher or coach. Right. And that was my first experience with that. Right. So your struggles with German kind of led you to think, hey, I, I could, I'd like to help others, like in English, perhaps? It just I I was really directionless. I went to a liberal arts university and I am very grateful for that education because, you know, it's very well rounded and it plants a lot of different seeds, but it's very different from a technical school or a training school. You know, you're, you're learning to think, you're learning to write, you're learning to question. You're not coming out of that four year degree with a clear path unless you're going to law school or medical school. 
you know, right. um, a clear path about what's coming next. Mm -hmm. And so it was quite vague at that time, but just um, also I, with family history, my mother's actually from Ukraine and came to the United States as a refugee after World War II. And they had lived in Austria in a refugee camp for a number of years. And so it was a way to connect in, in that way and um, mm -hmm. to sort of learn more about my family history. Ah, interesting. And my wife is half Ukrainian and- Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, and I visited the Ukraine. Fascinating. I haven't been yet. It's on my list for when when travel restrictions post pandemic. It's top of my list. Oh, it's really great. Well, what what so what led you like to to teach languages? Was it like uh, to teach English at a school? Like a you know, a, what exactly led you to start teaching English? And was it to foreigners or was it like at a high school or? Um, so, again, with the sort of vague um, direction in my early 20s, I knew the only thing I really knew when I graduated is that I needed to strengthen my target language, which was German at the time, right? And I recognized the value of having a second language, still not knowing what I was going to do with it. So I actually mm -hmm. took some opportunities to go back to German speaking countries and create an immers immersion experience for myself. Um, but I didn't have a work permit and um, the first time. <laughs> so I ended up doing a lot of odd jobs. I had friends, I had fam friends and a, a friend and her family who helped me out. Like I lived in their house while they were vacationing in Malaysia. And that gave me time to find an apartment. And in their neighborhood, there was a boy who needed help with his English class and they connected me with the family. So my first paid job of trying to get my feet under me in Berlin was tutoring this boy. Uh -huh. And so that was really when the light bulb went off because I found out, you know, he made progress. We looked forward to the sessions. I realized I had a natural talent for it. Mm -hmm. um, and I hadn't studied English in college. So, you know, I hadn't, and I certainly hadn't studied like how to teach language, but I think just having that language education was really helpful. And so um, after that, that summer, when I came back to the United States, I started applying to linguistics programs and teaching English as a second language graduate programs, because that was sort of the moment where I was like, okay, this is a thing that I can do. And I enjoy okay. it. And it really didn't feel like work. Right. So you felt like you knew that it would be teaching English as a foreign language to mm -hmm. foreigners. Mm -hmm. And so after you took this course, how did you get your career started? I was very practical. I applied only to two universities, um, you know, re state universities. I didn't want to take on the debt, which is a whole other problem in the US, um, which is a whole other topic that we could talk about. But um, <laughs> again, knowing that you're going into teaching, you, you don't exactly want to take out, you know, $100,000 worth of loans for a graduate degree. <laughs> so I just applied to right. two places um, and I was offered a scholarship in one of them and a position teaching immediately in the training institute for the we had the academic English Institute on campus, which was in Columbia, South Carolina. And it was a really good one. I didn't even recognize at the time, like what a great break that was. Um, I thought everybody had this opportunity and I got there and other students in my cohort were like a little bit jealous and they were asking questions and saying, how did you get this position? Because they all had to teach freshman composition to native English speakers, which is not the same type of training. It's just mm -hmm. cheap labor for the university and a lot of work, you know, for the adjunct, for the um, the TA, the teaching assistant. 
But I had written very clearly on my application, I want to teach English as a second language. And apparently I was the only one in that year's application cohort who said that. Other people were saying, oh, I'm, I'm interested in sociolinguistics or I'm interested in this or I might be interested in that. And I was just super clear on my goals. And that's how I got that job. And <laughs> wow. I, it was a really lucky break. I'm still in touch with some of my mentors there. It was a really excellent institute. Um, I subbed in the classes beyond teaching listening, which was my job and managing the listening library, because this was, you know, pre, pre the era when everything was available online, right? In order to teach mm -hmm. listening, you had to have a book with a recording or you were recording things off of the radio. Um, the man, the wow, sourcing yeah. appropriate materials to teach listening was a huge problem at that time, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so part of my job was to help with that to, you know, provide materials, source materials, organize the materials so that all the teachers in the Institute could have access to that library. So I also got this crash course in materials development um, right. right out of the gate. So right. That's but that great. program, that degree was designed to teach English for academic purposes, either in the United States or overseas at the university level. Um, and at the time that I graduated, the Asian economic crisis was unfolding and our pipeline of students from Asia had been had slowed down significantly. So I couldn't stay um, in. I couldn't stay there and teach at the Institute. Longtime instructors were worried about their jobs and it was happening all over the United States. And of course, something similar happened after September 11th and then again during the pandemic so these are cyclical things that they talk to us about in the program they're like look this job is very rewarding but you're not going to make any money and it's not necessarily stable and then i one day i looked around and realized that everybody all of the older professors in the institute were like married to somebody in the healthcare industry who was bringing in <laughs> the household income <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> right right and so did you at one point say, well, you know what, I need to I need to make some more money. Like, I love what I do, but like I need to find a way to like I got another lucky break. Um, speaking of. OK, so you were familiar with Michelin and all of the international businesses, particularly the European businesses in South Carolina. There was one um, a German company that printed on packaging material and they had a patented process for printing on foil. So like the covers of yogurt tops and the sleeves right. of beer, right? Okay. And the Lay's potato chip company was their biggest US client. And they, the Lay's company would ship blank packaging to Germany for this patented printing process. And then they would ship the packaging back, which was highly inefficient and expensive. And so the company just decided like, let's just build a plant here. And so for two years, they were building a manufacturing plant in Columbia where I was attending university. And every summer, the executives would come to our institute and they gave this project to the graduate students. Um, and, and it was great because they, they, we got paid a lot more than what the university paid us normally. And our job was to create this business English curriculum, do the needs assessment, find out exactly what they needed and wanted, you know, assess their levels, put them into groups or not, you know, separate them out into tutorials depending upon what they needed and create um, field trips, cultural field trips around the state. So I did that twice, two summers in a row. And the second summer, right as I was graduating, the CEO decided it would be great if somebody could come back to Bavaria to teach the employees who didn't have a chance to travel. Um, and the real truth, honestly, is that he was interested in one of my classmates 
<laughs> like it was very obvious and she was married and she kind of had to politely <laughs> deflect his attention and she kept telling him you know and, and in the end she you know said no i can't it doesn't fit with my plans and my family's plans so then to save face i'm not even sure he really wanted a teaching position at the company i think he wanted this other person to come back to the very <laughs> hilarious but then to save face he had to push the idea and um so i was like i'll do it i have no other plans this sounds like a great opportunity I already right and it's it. german just like yeah mm -hmm. i've right. already lived there and worked there before let's go and so that actually right. really opened up my skill set and you know and, and i had to write the whole curriculum and it was a great job they paid for everything you know they paid for the apartment oh. they paid for the car so like early on i was able to get a taste of what's possible beyond working for the universities mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that planted the seed for like where i am today so where are you today is it uh like do you have a business or are you a consultant or like how do you define you know what you are really I, I, I actually use both. I am a consultant, um, but I haven't done any B2B business to business contracts since the pandemic. Um, that's been more difficult, I think, for many of us. And but I do have a small business that I founded in 2007 and I formalized it in 2009. And that mm -hmm. was one to one tutoring and really coaching. I didn't call it that at the time because I didn't know it was coaching for the international professionals in the DC area. So my market was diplomats, foreign diplomats, people who work in the international development banks, international lawyers, um, international graduate students, some journalists. Mm. So I sort of do, business English doesn't really describe it or I like to describe it as, when you think about business English and how it's often focused on corporations and particularly sales teams, I have everyone else. I have all the people who, you know, are high level professionals who don't work in corporations, NGOs, right. um, I see. embassies, journalists, law firms. So perhaps like professional English. Maybe. Yeah, professional English. Mm -hmm. that's, that's interesting. And, and how do you, so I mean, because some of these clients that you had are like, let's say in law or they're in politics and do you need to be able to speak their language like to know like enough about the industry to be able to coach them or do they already have enough of the vocabulary right like they know the the buzzwords they know their own keywords in english already is it really about just improving their fluency it's the latter they know all their technical language for their field right and they right. will tell you you know i can talk about myself and my work um, I, what I can't do is interrupt in a meeting. I don't like going to social gatherings. You know, I don't like interacting with the, the parents of my kids' friends. Um, I don't know how to talk to the school, right? Um, so all, it's the day-to-day -day English, even though they are high level. So, right, right. And I, it's, it's astounding how even people who look, who are very impressive, very, who look very impressive and are very impressive and accomplished in their work. Everybody struggles with these same fears. Like, oh my God, I have to, I have to talk to the internet company over the phone. This is going to be awful. <laughs> I mean, I've had ambassadors had have meltdowns over that. And I'm like, it's not you. <laughs> right. Well, I get it. I get it. I've been in France for seven years and, uh, you know, I speak French, of course. Um, you know, I could, 
pitch a sales idea, get contracts. I can do all that. But it's true when it comes time to calling my internet service company, I am a little nervous. I tend to ask my wife, you know, can you do it? You know, yeah, it's true. That, so how do you teach that? How do you teach everyday English? We do a lot of, um, I do a very deep needs assessment. And so I have offered an hour free consultation for the duration of my business. I've gotten criticism from it, from other coaches. You're giving away too much of your time, but that's my process and it works for me. And 99% mm -hmm. um, of the time, if somebody actually signs up for that and shows up for that meeting and we have that conversation where I'm mostly deeply listening, they're, they, they are a client. They have essentially right. signed on, right? Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's just it, it's really finding out what they need. And sometimes they will say and of course, with advanced learners, it, you know, they'll often just tell you exactly what they need. But I have a process in case they don't know. Sometimes people are just overwhelmed and they need a little help sorting out where to start. And sometimes we'll go back and do a deep review of grammatical structures that they feel they should have known by now, but have been too embarrassed to admit to anyone that they've always struggled with and so that's part of the process i do i do have some assessments that i have them do and they're usually relieved you know so sometimes with some people it'll start out you know with going back to the basics with verb tenses but still just sort of loosening up with fluency um i do what people need in the moment right and how important is grammar for your clients for my clients it's important in their writing um mm -hmm. You know, D.C. is a very well-educated area, and typically what will happen is a, a, a native English speaker and or writer who is either a colleague or in a supervisory position, but who is not linguistically aware will embarrass or like annihilate, you know, a, there's always grammar bullies. So where I am, there's a lot of grammar. There are a lot of there's a lot of, you know smarty pants people here who really get off on <laughs> showing off their knowledge and sometimes i've seen this over and over the client's writing is not terrible in any way they just know that they're being every email that goes out is being analyzed by somebody who is supposedly the good writer in the office and I so see. it shuts them down and so it is important in that it is deeply tied to their professional reputation and possibly you know their promotion but you know we do a lot of that stuff about what's really important here i have them send me the email chains when when they're allowed to when there's not a security mm -hmm. issue with that and we break that down sometimes and i'd show them look like here's the breakdown in communication this has nothing to do with your english this person didn't read what you wrote um and we clear out a lot of that you know self-blaming junk um and look at communication uh. as a two-way street and then we find the balance of how to focus on grammar from there and usually it resets itself into like, I just want to know this stuff for myself so that I can write confidently and know that I don't need someone to edit my email, but taking a little bit of the heavy emphasis off the grammar that's perhaps typically coming from a colleague or a supervisor. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, for, from my point of view, grammar, once they, they're, once they have a certain level of grammar, they feel more confident because mm -hmm. they know that they're not making mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. But I tell them, look, like, I mean, grammar, I mean, is is almost an instinct uh, like it's I, I didn't know what present perfect was until I learned to, to teach it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of literature on that, too, like that. It's it's really a, like an internal code, like a binary code, you know, like a zero, zero, one, zero, zero. Right. 
and and to to learn a different code a different grammar code from a different language is very very tough it's incredibly hard because i mean how do you retain the rule right like here's the grammar rule how do you how do you remember that you know for me when i was in school i don't know about you but in school in canada like we we didn't focus very much on grammar in english class it was like read this book write a report on it or present it or and then we'd get back the corrections and we would kind of analyze the corrections without knowing the why, you know, it was yeah. just, you don't do it like that. You just do, you know, the was language it approach, which doesn't work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, do, do you remember learning grammar at school? Was that something? I do, but I think, I think it was an anomaly. Um, I had a fifth grade teacher who I think what was happening is that she understood that having a deep understanding of how the language put, was put together and worked was helpful. And she was actually going against the curriculum. She was old school, right? And mm -hmm. I think I think she was doing something they didn't want her to do. And we spent a lot of time diagramming sentences. And I loved diagrams. it, my brain okay. works. Yeah, it's, a, it's an old way of learning grammar, but um, it, it works in terms of deeply understanding how the language is put together and it's not so much about memorizing the rules. It's about, you know, breaking down the parts of the sentence, which is essentially what you're doing, you know, when you're writing in your target language, how do these parts fit together in a way that's going to make sense? Mm -hmm. But I think I just got lucky. I, my brother was four years younger than me and he didn't get any grammar instruction and at all. And when he went to, to change careers in his thirties and went back to nursing school, he actually failed the basic English test that was part of, and, you know, we went back and kind of was like, okay, what's going on? You know, you're a smart guy, obviously. Let's let's figure this out. And he showed me the practice test and it was a very old fashioned, ridiculous, you know, someone's idea of what somebody should, for nurses, you know, testing nurses on grammar rules. Wow, really? Huh. Yeah, it was insane. And, and most people of, you know, like you said, most people didn't get that. It was like something from the 1950s. Mm -hmm. Right. So right. we just kind of went back and, and refreshed the rules just enough for him to pass the test. But I think that's pretty common, you know, this idea. And I taught, I actually taught sixth grade English language um, to recent immigrants for six years. So many of them were not literate in any language. So I developed a method of teaching grammar that wasn't focused on the rules and didn't use that grammar language. And I always tell the clients, you know, tell me how you learned. If you have a solid foundation, in, in grammar, in your language or English, and somebody forced you to learn all these terms, we can talk about it in that way if it makes sense to you mm -hmm. and if that's helpful to you and it's more efficient. But if you don't have any of that, don't worry about it. And I'm not gonna, I don't use that language unless it's helpful to the person and I know they already have that background. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. And is your teaching style like um, where, mostly where you will explain like a presentation style? Or is it more like, okay, you tell the client, you talk, and uh, we role play, for example, is it more of a role playing situation? It's um, when we're working, I'll start with, no, it's not me talking, I try to, I try to shut up as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it's, you know, it's a good question, because I've had, um, I've had B2B contracts in the past, where I had to hire a small team. And it, it's one of the biggest questions I think in terms of hiring is making sure you're getting other instructors and tutors and coaches who listen more than they speak. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's such an easy disconnect, but it's also very common. 
Mm -hmm. um, if we are refreshing grammar, I send them resources and homework essentially to work on on their own time. And that's also mm -hmm. part of the coaching element because they're expected to do it. And they appreciate having the time to work it out on their own and really get mm -hmm. their brain around it. Mm -hmm. And then we reinforce those structures verbally through a natural conversation. Sometimes I have drills, you know, like warm up drills, verbal drills. Um, but most of the time I come prepared after doing this deep, you know, needs assessment with topics or things. But um, now that I've been moving more into coaching, I don't really even have to do that. The client takes the lead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I listen, you know, and, and go off of their cues. Right. And give them feedback based mm -hmm, on what right. they're saying. Mm -hmm. And I take extensive notes while they're talking, but they, now that it's online, it, we, we do shared documents. You know, I capture everything in the session and then encourage them to review it. But I tell them not to interrupt themselves in the session. You know, if we have to stop, if they're stumbling over a word, if we can't get the word, you know, then in the live document, they're able to see it. But I've been doing that for so long that I'm pretty fast at it. So sometimes people don't even realize that I'm taking extensive notes while they're talking. But for the individual work, people have found that to be super valuable because then they have this living document of the mistakes that they make the most and then they can review it on their time. So you're not interrupting them. You're you're taking notes as they speak. You're mm -hmm. you're noting the mistakes mm -hmm. and then afterwards they can review it. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's great. So you don't interrupt the flow like of conversation. Absolutely not. Yeah, right. absolutely. And then sometimes people will come to you and they'll say, I want to be corrected every single time I make a mistake. And then we have to have a conversation about that. And I was like, OK, if it's pronunciation, sure, I'm willing to do that because that's about habit breaking. But if it's about I'm not going to interrupt your flow of thought if you're just trying to express yourself. Right. Right. What do you say about accents? You know, like do people some of your clients want to, let's say, eliminate their accent or what is your experience with that? If somebody calls me and says that, I send them this article about accent and identity that was published in TESOL, teaching English to speakers of other language, languages, maybe about 10 years ago now. But it's a really nice short, you know, statement about how you really need to think about that. You know, why, why do you feel you need to eliminate your accent? And usually after they read it, they're like, okay, I get it now. I need to be understood, but I don't need to eliminate my accent. Mm -hmm. But if somebody really insists that they need to eliminate their accent, I tell them that's not what I do. It's a different type of training. Mm -hmm. You know, the, it, it has to do with speech pathology and um, it's, you know, something that actors do. And also <laughs> there's a woman, a local woman called English Accent Tutor, who's had her business now for about five years. And that is what she does. So I say, call English Accent Tutor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if that is your primary goal that's not what i do right. right right but you're right i think most people they when they say that they want to eliminate their accent really what it is is they want to be understood yeah and they don't want to feel that people are reacting to their accent mm -hmm. um you know which is a deeper conversation about what can you control and what can you not control mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so tell me about how do you so how do you get clients? Like, is it, um, are they coming to you? Do you have to go to them? You said you don't really do B2B at the moment um, or you haven't had B2B for a while. But I haven't had B2B since the pandemic. Okay. Um, I think that's fairly common. You know, people were, I mean, industries, it's not that the need went away, but I was working with think tanks and, um, and, uh, embassies in the past the embassies have been closed since the mm, pandemic you know mm. with the international travel being disrupted there hasn't been the refresh of people getting new appointments and coming here and realizing that they need help with their english mm. so and everybody's been kind of tightening their 
belts um, waiting mm. to see what happens as well. I don't, I mean, I know that there's professional development money out there, but a lot of the mm. clientele who used to have individual professional development budgets, that's gone away. Um, mm. So now in the past, I consistently got clients through um, local Google searches okay. and referrals. So lo local, so you have an actual physical space office? Like I don't, but you can set up on your, everyone should have this actually. You sh everyone needs to have their Google My Business profile because you can set it up as a service area. You don't, if you mm -hmm. don't have a physical space, which I don't, everything's online right now. Right. You don't have to put your, ad your home address on there. You just pick your service area. Oh, I um, see. Okay. Yeah. But you oh, still need cool. to claim your profile because it feeds into the search engine optimization of your website if you have one. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say, though, it's kind of an interesting comment on how the industry's changed so much just in the past few years. That was very consistent for me for a decade. Um, Google searches, um, mostly from my target clientele, not always, but there's always going to be people who see English, you know, on the Google listing and just punch the button right. and referrals. Then during the pandemic, it, it just flipped. I, I start. I didn't get any new inquiries um, outside of the people I already knew. Mm. And the ones that were starting to come in were not appropriate. And it's because um, the English language programs for recent immigrants um, all kind of disappeared during the pandemic, but the need didn't. So mm. I had a lot of people calling me you know, who just saw English and five stars who can't even have a conversation on the phone, you know, and it right. was actually getting really sad and desperate, you know, just um, searching for something, anything, you know, and they were all asking, like, I need to, I need help, I need help, I need help. I finally figured out which local programs were still running mm. and just kind of now I have the script and I refer them, you know, call yeah, these right. people, call these people. And they're like, oh, thank you. And that's going to save them a lot of time. But I realized I needed to do something because, you know, the thing that had worked for me for 10 years was no longer working. Um, right. And so I tried on my own to adjust the search engine optimization within my website, but I'm not a specialist. And I tried to move it off of the local focus and gain more of a global like how can i reach advanced learners in europe you know in in canada in latin america um and it did work we did get a handful of people last summer um from canada and europe but i recently hired somebody i just found the specialist threw down the money seo is not my thing and you know she's gonna take care of that now <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I, I totally get it i'm i'm doing that right now too i i uh, we're lucky in France right now. There's like a program where we can hire interns, uh, you know, very at a low cost. Like they're still paid, you know, the the their usual rate, but it's um, there's a, a subsidy from the government to oh nice okay to help us yeah. So we have two young um, interns now working on SEO for us, and that's excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because it is a it's. It can be very time consuming. And if it's not your core, uh, you know, business, it's hard, you know, for sure. To, you can't yeah. have all the skill sets, you know, no, you can't grow and have all the skill sets. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so so you had to do something new. And um, and so you're up, you're optimizing your website. And uh, and what about social media? I'm kind of done. 
Um, so yeah, that's I what you said on your post. Yeah. yeah, and that post just keeps getting more traction. I think it's up to 4,000 views right now. Nice. So I must have hit a chord. Um, I did have an intern in summer 2020 and from my alma mater, and they have a program where the interns are funded, and that was wonderful. So I did have an excellent intern, and they paid for her. And so we tried it. You know, she, she built up the Instagram channel. Um, we made some videos. We set up the YouTube channel. And it it started to get, you know, likes and, and it would grow. And I actually had this program that I developed during the pandemic called Speak Stronger Bootcamp. And the idea was that everybody would log on for advanced learners one hour a day and do an intensive hour of group speaking conversation. And it had the same structure every day, right? And I did that based on what the clients were telling me. And I knew a lot of people were home and speaking even less English right. during the pandemic, not having outside interaction. And we tried with her help um, to promote that on Instagram and Facebook. And I actually did get a grant from Facebook last summer. Um, they, gave, they were giving out small business grants. I got a little bit of cash and I got $1,500 ad credit. Right. Great. So then we hired another person who does that to set it up properly and do the A-B testing and link it to the website. And in, in both Instagram and Facebook, we got likes and a little more attention and, and views on the ad, but not a single registration for this course that I had wow. worked so hard to like conceive of what do people need right now during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. the whole thing, just the price points as well, at a price point that people might be willing to pay considering that this is a unprecedented situation. Mm -hmm. um, so thank God it wasn't my money. Right, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, you know, everything was changing in summer 2020. And that's what, you know, I feel like people, online marketers really need to be honest about that. I know that the targeted paid ads have worked for people in the past, right? But mm -hmm. I feel like there was the before and the after. And we're definitely in the after. And, um, and now it's like, you know, you really have to already be at a high level or have already dumped a lot of money into those channels to get any kind of reach. Mm -hmm. But I think the the pressure and the temptation to do it is still there. But I personally, it never felt right for me. Instagram never felt right. Mm -hmm. um, and I am a very visual person, but um, mm -hmm. you know, my my foundation has always been like this is a this is a professional program for mm -hmm. professionals. You know, mm -hmm. um, this isn't and they and they don't have a lot of time. And and ideally, the people I work with are focused on their goals and they're not wasting their time on social media. Right. 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 They may not actually yeah. be. <laughs> right right but they may be a little bit on linkedin yes yes and they are professionally right and so um so my mentor my small business mentor told me last summer your clients are on linkedin let go right. of all this stuff yeah, you yeah, know yeah. just refocus and she's like and also you have 10 years worth of clients how are you how can you reconnect with them right now right yes and That's so true. i went through my linkedin and i identified every single person i had ever worked with um because I have the I have them on my newsletter list mm -hmm. and I cross checked everything and I made sure I was connected to people I had maybe lost touch with. Um, I did a couple of free workshops that I offered to former clients. Mm -hmm. I advertised it exclusively on LinkedIn. And sure enough, that started bringing in more work. And in July and August, which is typically pretty slow. Right. Nice. And it was, you know, it maybe wasn't the thing I wanted, which was to sell this boot camp class. But it was wonderful to reconnect with old clients to see where they are now. You know, it was some editing work. It was a little bit of polishing, maybe a handful of sessions or a referral to a friend. But right. I mean, she was dead on. 
Oh, yeah. And that's funny because I did that too very recently. I reconnected with past clients and it was great. Um, it hadn't led to any, well, actually it did lead to one referral, but just the fact that, you know, they replied and, and said and told me again, hey, I really enjoyed that, you know, lesson that I had to three three years ago and you know I, I i'm still progressing in english and i you know i haven't lost uh, any of the skills that we've learned together so it just kind of reinforces if i hey this works right like this yeah, training and it gives you confidence to keep going in difficult times right like your work matters and it's helping people and yes. not everyone has the time to check back in but they're thinking about you and they value that experience and when the time comes they'll either be back or they'll pass your name on to somebody who needs it. Yeah, right, right, right. And so LinkedIn, absolutely. I think I think we have some we're very similar. We both have similar targets. Like I'm also I also target professionals and B2B. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn a lot and I use it uh, I, I I've generated, let's say, you know, close to a hundred thousand euros of, of business. You wow. Know, so, yeah. And 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 some of it is just um like let's say another company, like a digital learning company contacted me, said, hey, would you like to build, you know, create a, a program for our school, right? So content creation and doing the videos in their studio. So subcontracting, you know, work. Uh, but, and that has led to other opportunities because employees from their company saw me and then hired me for one-on-one -on -one training, right? So it, it has led to some really good opportunities linkedin and i took a training on linkedin uh, because mm -hmm. I, it is it is special i mean there is there are some yeah you gotta kind of learn how to use it you know properly yeah. i think you know yeah and i haven't even optimized my profile i took a training recently right. and have extensive notes from that and that's this week's goal oh okay great implement those things you know i need to tighten up my descriptions i need to activate a couple of features um that right. kind of thing and also so that i can help the clients because that's part of um the career coaching package that i'm developing my coaching has been attracting a lot of career coaching and i'm realizing now i kind of need to separate that like the general language coaching from like are you here to optimize how you present yourself for your next opportunity and so right now i'm working on separating those two changing that on the website and um, learning. Right, so not just language learning. Right, yeah. so not just language learning, but actual coaching, like career coaching. And, yeah. yeah, so a lot of times people will call me last minute because they have an interview. It's usually a referral, but so I've got three new people from LinkedIn in August and I was taking time off. I was, I was doing nothing really. I was traveling with my family nice. <laughs> and backing off of work for the first time in my adult life. <laughs> and then things started to just, you know, come in. Wow. Um, and so this is the wonderful thing about having an online business now. I worked from Maine. I worked from Massachusetts. I worked from South Carolina. I worked nice. from Virginia, you know, and when I needed to like connect with somebody and, you know, have an intake and talk about whether or not we were going to work together, I was able to do it. Um, so that was also illuminating is that the other thing I think people need to realize about LinkedIn is that you're not going to necessarily get this immediate response, but it's working on the back end. Yes. Um, you're building a reputation. Yeah. You know? uh, right. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's TikTok, which is the complete opposite, but so interesting for for views. And views are, I mean, because I got, you know, the, my last two videos got a, a combination of 100,000 views, which wow. is just bananas, right? It's bananas. Hasn't led to anything, 
yet, but uh, it's I've only been doing it for a month. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, it could lead to opportunities. That many mm-hmm. eyeballs, right? Uh, it could be someone's uh, son or daughter right. that, you know, right? Like, More likely um, someone's teenage son, but maybe not. <laughs> right, maybe not. Who doesn't like, take a break by looking at goofy videos? We all do. Right. No, exactly. Like it's growing big time, right? Even amongst the uh, professionals, you know, who, mm-hmm. who are discovering it. And there are uh, there are a lot of interest, like, you know, it's not just uh, teenage girls, you know, like half naked, you know, like and dancing. It's like there's a lot of uh, educational videos and it's actually and it's funny. It kind of forces us to be creative and, you know, mm-hmm. in a way where like, OK, I'm going to teach the difference between this, you know, when to say this, when you say that. You know, so how do mm-hmm. I make that memorable, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, thinking about it, and I, I came up with uh, the idea of, uh, there's a song, like an old song, you know, like a rap song. It's like, you can go with this, or you can go with that, or you could go with this. I don't know if you know. That. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. yeah. Uh-huh. Right. So so on TikTok, you have all kinds of songs that you can, you have rights to. Oh, and, okay. Right. So I just made a video with that. And, and you know, that you know, I got a lot of comments saying, oh, that was so cool and you know, very memorable. And just clients that I meet that have seen it because I actually use some of those videos and post it on LinkedIn, too. You know, like some people say, oh, you have to respect the platform. You can't put a TikTok video on LinkedIn. Well, it's well, you changing. can. I mean, yeah, that's changing, too. Exactly. Um, so that kind of organic reach, I think, can only lead to opportunities. And it does provide me with content that I could also post on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and on why not Facebook, why not Instagram? It's there. It's just a couple minutes to add it there too, you know. But I'm not getting any growth from those platforms other than yeah, LinkedIn and TikTok. Mm-hmm. This is really good. Yeah, this is also an excellent reminder. I used to use a lot of music in my teaching when I worked with kids, and I've backed off of doing it with adults just because of silly mindset stuff sure um, oh we're adults and we're serious yeah, yeah right. and but that's an excellent reminder um i did yeah. used to do that and it's super fun and it helps people remember remember and the brain research you know if you turn something into a song oh right because there's an emotion attached and yeah, yeah it, 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 it lights up a different part of the brain are you using any lms tools language management system tools or no i messed around with some of them in the past you know when you have a visible business you get those offers all the time you know we have the perfect platform for you um and i later when i as i expand my team maybe but um the way that i do have a coach um working with me her name is yana and she's excellent um i think ultimately i may have up to four people but i'm very clear that i don't want to manage a large, I, I, I'm clear that I don't want to run a school okay. and I'm clear like a traditional physical school. And I'm right. clear that I don't want to grow Manage. in terms of having, you know, large numbers of people. I had definitely have a growth plan, but it's extremely right. strategic and it's for growing revenue, but staying simple. Um, okay. Right. So for that reason, I haven't really felt that any of these systems have spoken to me. Um, and well, I do have one thing and it's not necessarily in that category, but I, I started an online private membership community and which is also going to host our, our courses. And that is built on Mighty Networks. And I don't know if you've heard about it, but look into it. Um, there's, a, there's about three or four of them in this space and their business model is moving people away from Facebook groups. Um, That's great. I have a Facebook group and it, it sucks. <laughs> 
we'll talk more. Mighty Networks. Uh, you could you could do the business. Did you say my, mighty, mighty or buddy? Yeah, mighty. Sorry, it's the American. Like mighty mouse? The American like... T reduced to the D. Okay, mighty, right. Yes, but mighty. <laughs> cool. Okay, that sounds... I'm always, I always love, I always love looking at new tools. You know? Yeah. And that, that is going to kind of function as a grounding platform for everything because it had, it will host your courses as well. Okay. Okay. Right. And so what that is, is like a private, you know, social media group just for my clients. Um, right. And it's yeah. my lowest price point. Now people can just join that community. Right. And I do, we do five live communication events online every month. And sometimes we add more and we have some other things there because it's kind of based around the coaching. So it's skill building and communication skills, but it's also like we do virtual co-working once a week where I block out two hours. And if you're working remotely and just need some accountability, we log in at the same time and we just tell each other really quickly what we're looking, what we're working on and what we need to get done. We go to work. I stop them in an hour, ask how it's going. You know, then we refocus, we do it again, and then we say what we what we did and what we're going to do next. And so it's like, you know, work skills in addition to um, the language skills. And for the local people, we do one or two meetups for people in the D.C. areas outside now. Because um, right. Nice. And with the Delta variant. That's but nice. It, yeah. So it is, you know, that's sort of my platform. Um, my courses are going to go on there as well. Right. So where are your courses now then? Like, well, they, I, they have been, well, I'm working towards building them out on Mighty Networks. In the past, I was right. really just using Zoom and Google Docs. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And it was very uh, customized. I mean, one-on-one -on -one training, right? It all depended on, on. Well, the one-on-ones and I've had some small group courses. Oh, okay. I had sold out my first small group course prior to the pandemic um, in February, 2020, actually. And then March came and I was like, ooh, and I reached out to all the people who had registered and I said, I think we're gonna have to do this online. And it was super interesting. 50% said, yeah. And I said, are you willing to try that? I know that's not what you signed up for. And they said, yeah, let's do it. And the 50% just didn't see what was coming and said, oh, I know myself. I'm not really an online person. You right. Know, but I, you know, call call me when you offer this again. I'm definitely in. And I right. Was like, yeah. And then by June, we were all online people. So right. Isn't that funny that you're yeah. right that, that we had the same experience. It's it's yeah. funny. Uh, yeah, I, there were a lot of even my teacher. I had some teachers that said, oh, I'll never teach online. It's not mm -hmm. what I like. And but yeah, everyone has kind of changed their, their tune. And and same for me, you know, I have a school like this is a physical location. Mm. Um, and, you know, so we used to have all of our classes here. And of course, the pandemic forced us, you know, to do to go online. But it was actually a blessing. It was a good thing. I was able to expand, get more contracts from other areas in France, and uh, the teachers don't have to come here, right? They can do mm -hmm. it from home. They don't have to. The students don't have to be on traffic, you know, to get here. Mm -hmm. so it's actually for one-on-one. -on -one, I don't see any difference, really. I right. mean, you're right. able to make a connection and have an intimate conversation. Yeah. And if you're able to meet in person, the way we're doing it now is um, even for local people, I just don't foresee putting travel back into my business model. I really don't. And I know mm. my other coach doesn't want to do it, and I don't blame her mm -hmm. And um, because she has to commute into the city. But right. what we have done is we've told clients, you know, we're going to just count on the instruction being online. But if there's an opportunity to meet up in person once in a while, we'll definitely do it. 
And I have done that. I've also had situations in 2021 where clients who were new clients in 2020 have been passing through town and we were able to meet in person for the first time. Right. That must be thrilling. That's like an amazing thing. We need a word for that. I don't know if we have a word for that in any language where you've just previously only had a digital relationship, but you finally get to see the person in (laughs) person. (laughs) Right. Right. And you're right. I mean, I say there's no difference. There is a slight, there is a difference. There is that, you know, when you do meet face to face. But I do have a co-working space um, that gives me flexible rentals on conference rooms. And that's my classroom space, my physical space. Oh, okay. Oh, that's my primary reason for not having a physical school is the real estate um, prior to the pandemic. Now, I think it might be a good opportunity. There's so much empty commercial real estate. But prior to that, it was just I didn't want that pressure. I didn't want to have to meet those revenue levels. And I just didn't feel it was necessary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not really. I mean, especially if you're not really looking to scale, you know, you I mean, you want you want revenue of course but like you said you don't want this big company right so mm-hmm. um well that's great well listen i i have an appointment uh in five minutes um, oh my gosh it's been more than half an hour well thank you yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but can, I, can i can i ask you a small favor julie yeah. um i'm in order to get this client i have a b2b client i'm uh-huh. you know um i've asked that uh, they've asked me if i can get like accents like different accents uh-huh. to say like the same sentence Okay. Um, and this is the sentence. Okay. I was so wondering you, if you could say that. Do you want my teacher dialect or do you want my true dialect? <laughs> Your true dialect is better. Okay, give me a moment. I gotta switch. I gotta come <laughs> in my mind. Okay, I got it. It's coming. Food is our passion. It's what brings us all together. Okay, great. And do you think you could say that in the camera, please? Yes. Okay. Food is our passion. It's what brings us all together. Yay. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was great. So listen, I- I'm going to share this with you, you know, as soon as I edit it all out and stuff like that. And it was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. You. Yeah. You've given me inspiration uh, to keep going with mine. I kind of put it on the back burner. 